your name's Chandler. You work for Wormies. People call you Jet House Gardens. You've got a Bokashi company. Which, which what's the name of the Bokashi company? Beer City Bokashi. Yeah, yeah. Here yeah. in Beer so, City, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Exactly. So you've got all these different names. You've got and it's Chandler. What's your last name? Michalski. Michalski. I love it. Yep. All right. So you, I, I've been actually doing research on you because people have been telling me about you and your work through word of mouth. Awesome. And so it's a Quatamuk Via. I don't know if you know, you know, Bokashi, EM, bioceramic guy, one oh, of my man, best friends. So much. Oh, have you met him before? No, not yet. Not Hopefully yet. That's soon. right. We're going to all hang out. Dude. And so Dude. he was telling me that I need to check out you, that we need to meet. And I just started peeling back the onion with Smiley's Garden, with Future Cannabis Project. And it was so cool because, you know, people have asked me like what I would do if I was going to do a compost company. Yeah. And it's like you went further than my like what I was thinking with with and, and we'll get into all of it. But I'm just I'm just going to start with like that final component. That is awesome. That is huge. And I think it's going to change everyone's like perspective on how to work with compost. And I actually have a, a, another yep. detail that I haven't heard on any of the podcasts yet um, with you, but it's going to just give you more fuel okay. for your fire over there at Wormies. So yeah, let's yeah. start off with like, what are you, what are you all doing at Wormies? What's the process for making compost? What are the stages? Because that alone is going to be revelatory to so many people listening, so many people watching and practicing compost. Yep. So it starts off, we have a uh, food scrap pickup service. And so we pick up from like 300 different residents around the city. And I think it's like 20, 25 uh, businesses. And so Grand Rapids is a really cool growing city. There's a lot of like healthy food options out there. And so we're teaming up with some really, really cool restaurants and kombucha places and juice bars and getting some really quality inputs and uh, putting that through. We're mixing it with manure from local farms and wood chips and uh, leaves from local uh, tree services, landscaping companies that we trust and mixing it all together, creating this wonderful uh, compost that we actually put through the hot composting. And so it does get thermophilic uh, for pathogen reduction and uh, biomass reduction because of the manure and food scrap sources. But um, after that, I mean, we do realize that the hot composting is killing a lot of the good guys too. And so we do reintroduce. Um, so we re-inoculate uh, that hot compost with the kombucha scraps uh, loaded full of the labs um, and the yeast and everything that has a, a big appetite and mushroom compost, which is a huge input. Um, we're teamed up with a couple uh, gourmet mushroom growers here and have spent mushroom blocks. So uh, myceliated sawdust. And so we add that in with the kombucha scraps and what else? Um, we add all the chunky stuff that we sift out of our old compost piles. And so it's full of these wood chips, bones that have been in there all the worms, cocoons, that's where all the life is. And so like, that's the mother culture because literally like I sift the stuff year after year and like, oh, I recognize that 
piece of wood that's in there you know that that bone that's in there let it stay in there and so like i don't have a ton of bones but every now and then you know there's some in there and so it's just you know pores upon pores and it's acting as you know bokashi essentially or as a biochar essentially it's just a condominium for these microbes and so the stuff that i'm putting back onto the piles is like this mother culture that's four years old and uh so very very complex microbes and the the more you sift out that chunky woody material and let it sit there it's just it explodes with mycelium and uh because the fungi just takes over they love all that stuff and so we call it wormies we give credit to the worms but we're teaming with the whole entire soil food web there and we let these huge long windrows full of worms and mycelium and, and everything sit right connected to the ground and just let maximum diversity um take hold and then and then we add cover crop seeds yeah and uh so then once uh the decomposition is slowing down you can't recognize any food scraps or anything um we kind of flip it and say okay it's time to associate with these plants again and so we have different grasses um we have a ton of squash we have some volunteers that, that survive um so we started out we had a pumpkin drive like three years ago now and these kids came by and they smashed their pumpkins and it was like so much fun for them. And then we fed all that to the worms. And so like every year now we've just had these volunteer pumpkin seeds from that pumpkin drive three years ago and they just pop up and we chop it. And so now we got, we're starting to like breed these pumpkin seeds in our compost and they just come back year after year and it's wonderful. But, um, so all those huge squash leaves, the pumpkin leaves, um, they keep, all that compost nice and protected. It's a, a covered crop in the, the physical sense. There's nice shade all over everything. The wind can still flow underneath it. Um, it does take a lot of water out of the pile. And so we don't just let them grow as big as they want to. There is some chopping and dropping. And when you do that, it releases a lot of that moisture right back into it. But uh, keeping the, the piles covered, um, as well as all those roots that are inside, pumping all those exudates, stimulating all those microbes, um, that's really where a lot more magic happens. And so like you have active mycorrhizae and whatnot because there's actually roots for it to mm. associate with so much, so much more. As you know. Was that intentional or like so many of us, when we have that worm compost and it's not breaking down all those seeds, there are things that grow and sometimes that's our best plant. Yeah. So definitely a, if people are used to like conventional compost that's been pasteurized or whatever, and they're used to no seeds in there, then we've gotten some complaints in the past and whatnot. And so it's like, it's just educating, you know, those seeds are really good. You can easily chop it and drop it or whatever, but they're pumping exudates in there. They're stimulating everything. And like, let's free cover crop for you. Yeah. And so just, you know, doing our part to educate our end customers, you know, and saying, you know, there's life in here. We're not going to pasteurize it. We're not going to bag it up for a long time and kill everything, you know, right. it's, uh, it's very full of life. But it's also like nature is also teaching us that lesson. Right. And we're just like, absolutely being the picture frame. So what kind of mushrooms, like what kind of gourmet mushrooms? Is it mostly also, like oyster or is it like shiitake? Yeah. So he's got, it's Michael files garden. I'll give him a shout out. It's my buddy, Chris. Um, he, uh, has some blue oysters, golden oysters, and then Michigan oysters, he calls them. And some oysters that he found here in Michigan and wild crafted, and they're delicious white, big oyster mushrooms. 
And uh, so like that's your IMO there. That's indigenous microbes from these mm. oyster mushrooms that were found right here in the Michigan forest, like 20 minutes away. And so like there's a lot of those that pop up everywhere. But then, yeah, there's your shiitakes, um, namikos, uh, chestnuts. There's like six or seven different gourmet strains that all pop up at different times. And so it's really cool. You'll see um, like earlier this spring, we'd get big rains and like not all of them would pop up. There'd be some that are more opportunistic in that specific little microclimate than others. And so like then the next week as it gets warmer, there's a different flush right next to it. And so it's like all these blocks were buried, but like they prefer different temperatures and whatnot. And like who knows the smash the blocks. Uh, so yes and no, uh, we do smash some of them. We do break others up into like tiny little, maybe like three inch pieces. And then we do leave some just completely full. And so like, there's a variety of different benefits to that. It's like when you Mm -hmm. smash them up, the mycelium just starts, you know, uh, spreading out and looking for other food sources. But when you leave them all together, there's still a good amount of nutrients in there and you can get some pretty big flushes of mushrooms right there. And so like just doubles the function. And, uh, I get a ton of free nutritious food right from uh, the, the ground all over in the compost piles. And yeah, that's wonderful. And so oyster mushroom is a primary decomposer for that area. Yep. And so you by incorporating and, and it's not, and, and it's not like, um, like all these like woody polypore mushrooms, you know what I mean? That take a long time to break down and their chitin's like extra dense. This is like, it's moisture mushrooms. So they're squishy and they break down very easily. They, they, they cycle like, like that's what they're doing. They're cycling into organic matter really fast. That that's really, that's really, really powerful. I think that that could be best practice using a native, and spore forming so that you're having spores form like i mean there's spore relating in there from the broken thing that you said but they're also if they're forming mushrooms and you're letting them go all the way they're sending out spores so it's this full cycle of expression i don't i've never heard of that anywhere else dude once those spores open up it's just insane how much life comes to it and so like I let some of them open up for sure. And like, I have an abundance, so I don't harvest them all to eat. But like when I do harvest the ones to eat, it's early because if you let them open up and sporulate, there's so much life that just comes and it's feeding everybody. And it's the, it's the medicine for everybody. It's like same things that make it medicinal for us. You know, it's the medicine for all the ants that are eating it, the beetles and everything. And so like, and then the birds are eating that the mycelium is the medicine of the forest. And and it's pretty incredible. That's super powerful too, um, because in seed saving, when you start saving seeds, and this was my experience when I first started going transitioning from gardener to seed saver, you recognize, hey, wait a second, this is what it's all about. All the birds, all the beneficial insects have been waiting for you to let it go to flower. And then when you let it go to seed, there's also this like incredible expression. You're like, these seeds are unbelievably gorgeous. Absolutely, man. And, and, and it's like a very humbling thing. You're like, Oh, I get it now. I've been doing it wrong. (laughs) You know? And like that 20%, like I always leave 20% or more of an area and have it totally go full expression. Um, because you, I love, I, I think it's so beautiful how you've got like the semi broken up, the broken up and the unbroken up because having that 
that layer, those layers of differentiation gets layers of expression. Exactly. And a good point about letting things go to seed. That's been a big realization this past year is like, we're composting on maybe like two acres of our 13 acre property. And the rest of it's just wildflowers and native plants and just wonderful oasis of life. And there's so much pollen out there and people come out and they're not used to being outside of their air conditioned house or whatnot. And they start sneezing. And so like, but like that pollen is so important and like letting things go to seed and like realizing all the, you know, trillions of spores falling from the mushrooms and all the, the pollen flying. It's like, that's going up and that's creating the clouds, you know, it's giving something for the water particles to bind onto. And like, just realizing how interconnected everything is, is absolutely amazing for sure. Yeah. there's microbes that are riding on, 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 on the wind yes. with them, <clears throat> yep. like all sorts of things. I, I yep. suspect that purple non-silver bacteria is actually in the air, especially close to large bodies of water. Wow. Yeah, because wow. I found you saw the video. I saw, I found it in Johnson Sioux, um, yeah, right by the Great Lakes. Yep. So it's like middle of America, and yep. it was actually on the Canadian side, uh, middle of North America, um, <laughs> and then the other was the all West Coast. And so I, I, I'm I'm gonna be testing the stuff that I build here, um, but I'm gonna set up a system similar to yours. Awesome. Um, but I have like a, a few different things. Like, so are you DNA testing things? No, I was literally just about to ask you if I can send you a sample and see if you can. Yeah. Cause, okay. So I'm part of the Vermi microbiome project. I don't know if you've heard of this, but uh, it, it's just getting started. Um, Troy Hinky from living roots compost tea um, invited me, but somebody else has some grant money and uh, is DNA sequencing Burmese compost from all over the country and Wormies was asked to uh, be a part of this. And so I'm super excited, but uh, he did a little bit of testing last year. His name is Zach. I forget his last name, but um, so he does have some DNA sequencing and I couldn't find the rhodosudomonas in there. And so I, I know that the PNSB is found in the biome of the gut, but who knows how extensive this testing is or whatever, but I'd like to see, I mean, I believe you in Quatamoc for sure, but Oh, I think Super it's going to be in good compost and it likely is in there for a specific reason. Yeah. Like, okay. like, like, you know how I, I was like, um, like rhizobia is a primary decomposer and it's also yep. inside like all the, the, the nitrogen fixing legumes, which means it's yep. in the gut digestion. Uh, the, the, there's all these like different feedback loops and it's in the gut digestion of what? ruminants. Okay, because so, they're eating the nitrogen. Yeah, things. and so and it's and it's fine going through there, and then it and when we know this because it goes through all of hot composting, <laughs> right? And surviving volcanoes, like right, yeah. right. It's and it's also going through um, EM compost. It's going through all of them just fine. <laughs> yeah. So rhizobia selling you an inoculant, you know, you know, online like buying the inoculant for rhizobia, you know, it's like meh. You might not need to do that, actually. Yeah, no, I feel the same way. But so, I feel that way about like all these fancy inoculants and you know microbes in a bottle and stuff. It's like, but if we DNA sequence the squirmies, like, it have like all that stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I really, I really want to do it, and and I want to. So, you are you doing microscope tests? Yeah, um, got a couple people, but especially uh, Organic Alexa, the co-host of the Michigan Compost Cup. 
she's really big into microscopy, um, getting into like the epifluorescence and stuff. So she's a big fan of your work as well. Um, but yeah, it's yeah. incredible the stuff that she shows me and, and uh, the stuff that she sees in there. The amount of, you know, slides that the whole entire soil food web is in one field of view. It's like, we've got some stuff rocking in here. Incredibly proud of it. So we just had a uh, Leighton Morrison out on Monday out to the farm and he was scoping the compost and is a great time for sure. So I want to add some fuel to your fire yeah. now. So I was told by a student that within weeks, E. coli, pathogenic E. coli is removed by worms. And I was right. like, is that true? I don't know. Let me check that. And I didn't have like, you know, like, like, like a Jamie to like look it up while we're alive or something. Yeah. But I later on looked it up and the studies are pretty darn clear. I was looking for studies that proved it wrong and instead fo- mm-hmm. found studies that proved it right. So that's just, you know, right. how I do things. And so uh, I was really surprised, but they do. And so it's a best practice as a business for, and, and for everyone, I would say, to go from hot composting, letting it cool, and then adding the worms. Yeah, it just pathogen reduction totally like it cleans up anything in there and you know i, I drank the compost extracts and fully trust it you know you know i have to just open up the epi um <clears throat> i'd have to open up the thing on on the johnson sue worm compost um i do multiplexes when i do the dna testing because i love to compare things because it's the only yeah. way i generate meaning is to be able to compare and so I've got to I've got to look and see what's in there because I, I I would say that it's important for the plants to like filter and choose the like the like the microbes for us to take in, yeah. especially with mycorrhizae as the gatekeepers on the roots. I don't know if mycorrhizae block um, pathogenic E. coli because all E. coli knows how to use, um, endophytic, uh, keys to get in and, and persist. Mm. And so there's examples of pathogenic E. coli, um, surviving the heat from a hot compost and then going inside of plants and then establishing itself like a regular endophyte would because commensal E. coli is everywhere, right? It's all over everything. It's 40% of all microbes on everything I test, everything, everything. Um, They're the actual information feedback loop, just like rhizobia is. They're primary to all decomposition, primary to all digestion. They are, the word E. coli means like mammal. It's millions and millions of species, but they express in, in relation to the environment. So they take up genes from the, this is why people are like, oh no, you don't want to create an environment that will cause disease. Mm-hmm. They were completely right. It's horizontal gene transfer. Yeah. Um, so, so I'm really excited about this because you are modeling, not just best practice, not just the way to do it so that there's the least amount of pathogens because you're doing both um, um, not sterilization both selection yeah. processes um yep. and, and spraying everything with em which can you know eat toxins too so yeah, yeah and it's so powerful i mean in em blends i'm finding you know acromobacter which digests glyphosate and everyone's like oh glyphosate's in the rain and i'm like but this actually digests it you know exactly. 
And good compost, from what I'm seeing, has at least one percent Acromobacter, which is which is huge. You know what I mean? If you're regularly using it, you're regularly digesting Roundup. So, so there's there's such power in the that kind of product that you're you're, you're bringing. Are you inoculating it with any specific mycorrhizal like fungi, like Arbuscular mycorrhizal fungi, like AMF? We haven't inoculated um, with any store-bought inoculants. Um, I've done some, not I guess no, uh, like mycorrhizal inoculants or anything like that. But uh, having the the plants in there, and you know they're flying through the wind and everything, I'd like yeah. to get some some proof that there's some connections going on. But I, so I feel like it's so easy to start scaling it because what the professionals do, like like Rodale Institute, like Mike Amaranthus, yeah. the creator of Mycorrhizae, the first mycorrhizal inoculant company, they literally turn the soil that they grow their initial plants in into the medium. So they do like, like half biochar, half compost. And then they grow uh, like a a, a tropical grass, Bahia grass in a, in a bag. And they inoculate that. Which grass was it? uh, Bahia grass. It's in regenerative soil. There's like a whole graphic for it. I've definitely seen it. Just, I don't pronounce it like that when I read it. So. (laughs) Oh yeah. Well, my wife makes fun of how I pronounce everything, but it's all good. It's all good. It's all good. So, so, um, but like the thing is, it's like you grow the grass, you let winter kill it. And then because of the stress, all it goes and just creates crazy amounts of spores. You just pull out the grass or you chop the grass and then you just mix the whole bag up and that's inoculant. And so it's so easy to do and scale. You're supposed to start this like over winter, right? Um, I would start it, I would start it, um, in like, I would start it in like midsummer, maybe late summer because, because you want them to, you don't want them to go to seed, but you, but you want them to get like, uh, to the point where they're, they're really robust and they're feeding out a lot of exudates and then they get stressed and shocked. So where you're at, yeah, I would probably plant and (laughs) in like mid to late summer, um, I would look at the weeks, whatever it says, the weeks, and then backtrack to, um, to where you have some, some time before it goes to seed. Dude, when I said earlier, when we were messaging, there's not enough time in the day for all the cool shit I want to do. Most of that cool shit is in your book. It's like, I I just want to do all those preps. It's so inspiring, man. Oh, just wait. I've got so many more. The thing is, and you are doing it like you are, you are exactly what I keep telling people like it's going to happen. It's like all these things that I like bring up and like, and like, and like highlight that people are already doing, but putting into a system of understanding is going to allow people to improvise, allow people to, to adapt and to create and generate new expressions of the same ideas and, and, and niche versions of them. And you've certainly done that. You've absolutely are proving that out. It's, it's, it's brilliant. Thank you so much. Yeah. So, so, and then, and then, and then you, you do know that like beer yeast um, is an endophyte, right? Yeah. I was hearing you talk about that last night too. Yeah. Yeah. So you, so your, your, your pile definitely has like rhizobia definitely had, it has so many things in it. It's really, really amazing. I can't wait to test it and show folks. 
Awesome. Me either. And so, uh, have you have you considered like have you seen the database idea? Yeah. Have you considered yeah. like like uh, like having wormies participate in that and like have their like soil or their compost like on there so people can check it out? That'd be incredible. I need to look in that into that a little bit further. Um, but yeah, let's talk about that for sure. Okay, yeah, because that would be like a way that people could like, because the thing is, it's all right. So uh, the way to make things go really fast is to make it self evident. And so if you have the highest, like best expression, the like best practices shown, yep. then people can look at their compost and go, okay, I get it. The color of his compost is like three shades darker than mine. Oh, sure. I get it. Look at like the, the, the crumb like texture of that. There's a fluency that comes that, that when we have that kind of different snapshots, you, you see the biology, you see, you, you see the bricks uh, and the bionutrient meter readings on the plants that, cause I would love to, for you to send me plants. Um, yep. like, because, uh, and I don't know, I don't know if the bionutrient meter, I might just have to visit um bring like the laboratory with me Dude. Ah. But, but like that's the thing is it's like to show folks that the best plants grow in the best soils and the best soils are amended with because I, I in my course i tell people compost is the ultimate carrier for anything that you want to do it's like you want to add biochar do it with compost it's like you want to add em you know combine it like em with your compost and it's like combine em with you know what i mean your compost tea but like it's this it's 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 a carbonaceous carrier right and so you can push it this way or that way oh, and you're you actually i also heard you talk about how you're going to be offering different kinds of compost like more fungal dominant more garden more perennial yeah that's definitely uh on the list of stuff so like we have Two different siftings and so we have like a an eighth inch screen which is going to be your traditional like uh vermi compost worm castings but uh we don't call it worm castings because still there's so much more in there than just you know the worm casting and so vermi compost a little bit looser but uh and then we have the vermi mulch um and so that's a, a quarter inch screening and so like a lot of tiny little wood chips get through it's like they started off, you know, big couple inches wood chips and now they're tiny little, you know, almost micronized. And so like all that woody material gets through all the worm cocoons, a uh, bunch of worms, rove beetles, um, so many soil mites, shredders and predators, um, the whole entire soil food web into like this mulch that is like the perfect start to, um, I still recommend using like a, a grass or something a little bit cor coarser to, to cover it up, some like hay or whatnot. But uh, it's just going to be slowly breaking down um, just a battery for your soil, all that organic matter that is still got some life into it and just coated with all those microbes and whatnot. And so like that stuff, when, after we sift it into the quarter inch um, siftings, we let it sit there and the mycelium just takes off in there. And so like that's going to be more fungal dominant. That would be, you know, catered more towards plants that prefer fungal dominance or, uh, you know, the, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and and that's gonna be that's gonna be like a, a 12 month or longer 
or bo- yeah. all your piles are 12 months, right? Is it, isn't that the case? Yep. Uh, 10 to 10 to 12 months or so. Sometimes, uh, it's ready, you know, in 10 months or so, but, uh, ideally once we scale up, everything's going to be sitting for a, a whole year, you know, that's so important. And, yep. and I, I, for, when I was getting into permaculture, it was all about like how fast you can compost. It was all like faster, faster, faster. Yep. And, and, and at one point there's like a Jeff Lawton video. I don't know if it still exists, but he's like the fastest compost garden ever. And he's got like a bucket of food and he goes, throws it on the ground. And then like, like throws straw on it and then throws compost on it and then plants like all in the same 10 Dang. seconds. And I yep. was like, no, sir, wait. <laughs> and it's like, we got a little out of control. Yeah, I it's think. not a race. Yeah. A little carried Definitely away. I recommend cold compost and doing all this uh, like compost education and stuff. It's just like, if you have the space for it. And so like, that's the biggest thing is there's so many different ways to compost off of everybody's unique situation. But like um, a lot of people, when they hear composting, they think the big hot piles and flipping it and 140 degrees and all that stuff. And it's like, you don't need to do any of that in your small backyard pile, you know, just cold composting and retaining all that diversity is probably the way to go, you know, unless you've got a ton of biomass that you got to reduce or you're trying to reduce pathogens from manure sources and whatnot. Like, cold cold composting is definitely the best yeah and so speaking of education you all have a an extensive education outreach program yeah we're, we're getting more into the education for sure um i hosted the co-hosted the michigan compost cup last year the first one and we're planning it for this year but i think we're going to change the name the compost cup you know it's it's not a competition at all Nobody's got the, the best compost because there's so many different situations, so many different applications for it. And like, yeah, so trying to get away from like the any connotation, you know, with egos and competitions like that and just have it be a celebration of soil and life. And like just teaching people how to compost and build Hugo cultures and all these regenerative practices um, while we're, you know, having a good time and listening to music, having drum circles around the fire and like. We have uh, bioluminescent mushrooms up there. And so we Heck go out yeah. with UV lights and like, it's just an absolute blast um, and great time to just have fun with. All is that Pinellas stipticus? Um, I'm not sure which one it is. Uh, I don't I don't think it's that one. I, I'm not familiar with all of them, but I follow Michael Fest and I've seen some, some cool people uh, with some bioluminescent mushrooms up there, but it's Heck definitely yeah. just one species up there and tiny little, um, I forget what it was, but there's a ton of my, mycologists in that community. And it's like, it's great to bring the mushroom community together with the soil nerds and the, the ganja growers. And like, <laughs> and like, it's incredible. And like this year, it's going to be a little bit less focused on growing ganja and just focused on regenerating soil and growing everything, mm. you know? And like, um, yeah. So it's so important to teach people this and like teach people how to teach people or like it's how to teach their kids. Because once we start teaching kids how to compost and like, make it a part of their everyday life it's like it's easy you know it's like a lot of us adults need to unlearn things and we're so used to these broken systems of sending organic matter off of our property and like just wasting that energy and paying somebody to rob us of our fertility and like you can start viewing organic matter as energy and like a highly prized input and like uh, judge a man's 
wealth off of the size of this compost pile type thing you know like yeah. uh, the compost pile and fertile humus is the, the only sign of permanent wealth you know and healthy soil is so important so thank it's you so much lifeblood uh, it's absolutely yeah. lifeblood i'm so I've, I've heard a lot about this compost cup it's really really awesome because it helps folks uh in a safe environment showcase what they're doing get uh get more education that's what i'm really hoping to do with the the soil database and uh, i am going to have rankings though for like most fungal but i'm going to rotate it so that it de-emphasizes like individual because the thing is with the metrics with with compost it's like a what is it good for b um you can't just have one of those metrics be and then and then we don't know what those metrics are in relation to each other like like yep. what 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 is like 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 fungal dominance in relation to like nitrogen like there's a sweet spot right there right and yep. so even if it's ammonium right there's a sweet spot and so like we haven't mapped that all out yet um i've brought up npk testing in the middle of a talk and it was crickets and i was like y'all never tested the nitrogen in your compost before you that's it. a huge part of compost too i know we get focused on all the microbial stuff but it's absolutely still a ton of nutrients there also yeah and understanding what they are is really critically important because really good compost not only has everything that plant because i mean <laughs> essential plant nutrients would 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 imply that the, they're in plants yeah. <laughs> So like really good compost from really good plants and, and clean sources are going to have all the essential nutrients and minerals um, in an area, unless you're in certain parts of like Australia, that, because they didn't have glaciation and, and whatnot, but you all are, are in the exact area where there was glaciation, where the, where the mineral rich soil. Yeah. Rock dust enriched yeah. soil, essentially. Racial rock, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. And so I would really recommend that that everyone can they mail orders like like small amounts from you. Yeah, but we're getting into that. So we haven't offered it in the past, um, but we're starting to ship out mother cultures, we're calling it. So like it's more than just isolated worms, it's everything. Like and so I go out and I go through the chunky pile of all the wood chips and like those just huge chunks of my ceiling, you know, handfuls full. And they're just, you know, pulling all these different pieces together and forming forming aggregates. And so I go and like hand select the best of the best and ship it that day. And so yeah, the mother cultures are, are definitely the way to go um, to add easiest way to, you know, bring dead dirt to living soil. Yeah. And also to to bring diversity to people's compost because what I'm seeing. Yeah is like there there are things that are everywhere like there's the top 10 primary decomposers but there are literally all stars in all these different areas and 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 and, and people who have compost that are at the next level seem to have a, like a greater diversity and a greater series of unique microbes so so i i really think that like having like a you know compost parties <laughs> where you're bringing in different compost from the best of the best of the best and Dude. inoculating your piles is really really powerful and because of horizontal gene transfer and because of the way imos yep. express dominance 
there's it's not a dangerous thing to do especially because you guys are are doing all this due diligence it's actually um the best thing to do <laughs> well i have mixed feelings about the uh, imo collection on rice grain mm. and i'd like to know like have you dna sequenced um imo collections on on rice before I have not, but the reality is, is that we would be growing out what's in the rice to a degree. Yeah. So that's the main concern there is you're gently pasteurizing the substrate. You're not sterilizing it from like a mushroom cultivator standpoint. Like that grain is contaminated from the get go, you know? And so like, um, we do have a buddy, a mycologist from that is into DNA sequencing and he's found really, really similar collections on, you know, cultures from all over the state and, so I think a lot of it is like the yeast that's flying through the air. And so and a lot of these primary decomposers that are, you know, the top 10, like you're saying. Um, but as far as like complex, um, higher trophic levels of microbes from these actual native, like, I don't know if we're, we're culturing that, but. Um, I, I was using have, the term IMO more loosely to just mean like the indigenous microorganisms that are in situ. Oh yeah, yeah, no doubt. No. And so like that's the thing too, is a lot of people only think of IMO as the, the rice collection, but Thank no, they're everywhere. Terrifying. Yeah, the, the compost has IMO all over it. Like it's connected with the ground, of course. Right. It's got, like, um, but uh where was I? Um so if this rice collection does work, and like we taught this at the last compost cup, and so like that's the thing, it's like we're constantly learning and like really we, we don't know shit. Like we're we're scratching the surface of all this stuff and like it's incredible what we're finding out, but like, you gotta have that, uh, you gotta be able to, to change your mind. But like, um, so we had this idea of having this um, Michigan IMO. And so like everybody collects the IMO from all over. And so like, now that I'm saying that out loud, like it doesn't need to be the rice collection. It could just be, you know, indigenous microbes from all over. So everybody can bring their own compost or whatever. And then we mix it at the compost cup. So like you have this Michigan IMO, so MIMO, and then we'd mix it all together and make primo, mimo. But uh, it was just like an, an idea that we're talking about for the cup is mixing everybody's compost and you have that horizontal gene transfer and like you just, yeah, you get maximum diversity. But and, also- um, And I would, I, would, I would include in that a handful of, of soil. Like if they were getting like, like, just like a, like a clean handful of soil to add into that compost, that's one of the natural farming like uh, things they do in one of the IMO steps because um, there's like five, right? Um, with different preps. And so they get native soil from like the dry area, the wet area, the the, the sunny area, the shade. And, and they, they, they try to collect the soil, the physical soil. Yeah. And like when I first heard that, I was like, people are going to harvest all the soil. Um, they're only doing that in Oregon. Um, but, but that's completely different. That's because the, um, the mushrooms, but, um, yeah. So, so I really think that that is a, is, is something that's super key because it's, it, you're going to get things that just aren't, and aren't in the other, in the other consortiums at all. For sure. And so like, there's that concern with wild crafting soil or forest litter or whatever, but like, I feel like if you're going out there with respect and like you're not just going out there to extract you actually go out and you spend time and you bring a separate bag and pick up trash and like maybe even if you you know pick up some 
some soil you put some compost that from your house there and like fill that gap you know and never leave these bare patches but like i think wild crafting can absolutely be sustainably done you know like um for these yeah so th there's always that concern and like you never want to go out and extract things from nature but you can do it with so much respect and learn so much while you're out there yeah the i love that that is amazing <laughs> So, so do you guys have a website online for Wormies that people can, can, can check this out? Yeah, for sure. And uh, we're doing some more work on it. There is some info out there, but uh, thewormies.com. And then our Instagram is at wormiesgr. And so there's, there's and if people wanted that, that, that sample inoculant, maybe that like five pounds or 10 pounds or 20, I don't know. But like that's that smaller amount that they that you'd ship. Uh, who who would they have to contact? Uh, DM Wormies on Instagram, or you could DM me. Doesn't matter. But that's perfect. Yeah, for sure. So, what do you have in the like plan for the future? Like, what do you have like on your docket for for what's next with the piles? Like, what are you going to add in? Oof. Um. Trying to get some. Uh, Figure what to call it some wood shavings i just toured a, a neighbor farm and they had all this wood um that was untreated and everything and these tiny tiny little pieces and i want to start using that as bokashi um because like everybody uses grain for bokashi and so like i think using a more complex mixture of you know grain and basically sawdust or these tiny little bit pieces are bigger than sawdust but smaller than wood chips like um That'd be an, another interesting food source and a long-term food source um, and more complex, you know, carbohydrates than the grain itself. And so it's, uh, I think having just like, you know, breaking up the mycelium into different chunks and having it in different cycles, you know, you need that fast releasing, but you also want that slow releasing food source and like um, just creating different mixes of Bokashi. And uh, that includes like having some biochar mixed in as well. And, so getting more and more into biochar, uh, we just moved out to this new farm and there's a ton of wood material out there and uh, and there's wood waste all over the city that more loops for us to close. And so like, um, been talking with Quatamac and we've already made biochar, um, you know, three or four times now. And so like, we have a good amount accumulated. It's, we're using it in the garden and everything, but we're ready to start, uh, you know, putting it in the compost, putting it um, in the Bokashi mixes and, you know, using it all over. So, yeah. So with the, with the biochar, like, I know that there's like that chunk size that everyone's like, you got to maintain the, the, the specific size. It's good habitat holds water, but the dust makes the microbes go nuts. Yeah. They like that micronized stuff too. Yeah. And so like when you're making it at the end, when you have all that dust and like, I know that there's like people online who are like, no, that's the dust is not the stuff to use, but that's the stuff to use. Yeah. Especially when you're doing like EM brews and toss some of that in there. Yeah. Okay, and especially you, you, you know how to like break the surface tension on like things, right? Uh, I mean like surfactants or what do you, yeah, exactly. So like if you do that and like I use hyperdrive, which is like all food, food, like it's okay. grade material. And like, I've even gotten it in my eyes. My, Michael Whitman's friend, Richard created it. And I only know a few of the ingredients, but they're all, they're all secret, but like yeah. it's made of food. 
and it's genius. And like many of us in the industry, like probably could guess like a lot of the things, but it's a surfactant right. essentially that causes it to be a neutral surface so that things can absorb really easily. Okay. I was like, what happens when we put it with biochar? It Ooh. ate my EM ate the biochar. And I was like, it, it wasn't even dust. I used dust the second time and the whole thing like foamed, but it was like, <laughs> yeah. So like EM, I was like, wait a second. The EM now is black carbon in it. And I was like, this is going to electrically change like everything. And so it's like, we're always like, like, I mean, you've probably seen like Quatamux, like amazing technique where he takes um, the right growth cycle, nitrogen form puts it in with EM in an extension. Right. Yep. And then makes yep. amino acids that are per that level of growth. So genius. Quatamux amazing. And he's been teaching that for years, just openly. So I just want to honor him for that. But I was like playing with that and I added, I, I started adding things in. I was like, well, we should put like kelp in there. Cause we want to load these things up. And then, and then I was like, what happens? Cause Michael, Michael Whitman puts biochar caps on his compost piles so that all the CO2 and all the gases that come off are actually captured in the, the biochar cap. Whoa. And this has been proven to work. So, so just an inch or two, or how much do you think? Um, I think that would depend on how deep your pile is. Sure. And then how much nitrogen you're losing, right? Right. And so, and so he, he does, he's the first person I saw doing what you do, which is aerating the pile from below and having a static pile. Yep. He's been, I don't know how many years he's been doing it. I filmed his pile, his whole system, like seven years ago, six years ago now. And he, he just always puts us, he's the biochar man. He always puts a biochar cap on it. And then when he moves it to the next stage, he mixes it all in together but he nice. was so worried about the CO2 release and composting um, that he started using the biochar to capture it. So biochar caps, I yeah, I think. And, th and then you have the biochar there also loaded with nutrients. Suddenly exactly. For, for, the, for the next stage in the worms. And I've heard that for worms, it's like a, it's like a grit for their gizzard. Yeah. Yep. So I'm sure they love that small stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great idea, man. We'll have to start capping some piles. Awesome. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm happy to like add in any way that I can because you all are doing exemplary work. I mean, this is really, I mean, it's so fitting that you're, you're running this, the, the compost cup because you, you're a leader in this. And uh, I really appreciate that. I mean, I always talk about how I, um, I mean, like th there's this, this is an open field. Like there's, there's so much work to be done. Like we talked about before, like there's never time to do all the things that are in our heads. And yeah. it's like, what's so incredible is it's like, I was thinking about things and then like you completed the thought and then went further with the thought and, and, and your whole team and Wormies and, you know, Beer City, Bokashi, like all of it, you're, you, you're manifesting that. And, and that's what we really need. We need people to, to co-create our visions and do you meditate? Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> that might be part of it. <laughs> yeah. So many of us are. 
No. Oh man. But I think that's part of it too, is that we're all touching the same, same space and we're learning um, from the same, uh, we're learning from nature and we're learning from um, what is best practices and we're opening our hearts to what is, what is the, the, the actual pathway for progressing through understanding of these spaces. And, and, and I feel like your example, sharing your example, the way you guys do is so powerful because it allows people to try it out and iterate it and do their own version and explore further with, but what, but at the same time showing what is, what is true, what really works and, and liberating people from that doubt. So many people are like, ah, mm, maybe I wish, I hope, I don't know though. And it tears them up. You know, we live in a world of uncertainty already, you know, Absolutely. and it's like, this, this is so awesome. I mean, for me personally, like I get so much peace from knowing how powerful the right way, the natural way is. And then how every time I'm, I'm, I'm you know, under the microscope, every time I'm you know, talking to someone like you, I, I learn more and it, and it pulls my understanding further and it, and it all fits and it actually deepens. So thank you. Thank you, Matt. I really, really appreciate you. Well, we all appreciate you Chandler. It's amazing. <laughs> really is. All right. So everybody go and go visit Wormies. <laughs> yeah. So I, I wildcraft mushrooms all the time. So we talked yeah. about, you know, using the gourmet mushrooms, but I do use polypores in there too. Some really, really medicinal tree medicine, some earth medicine that's been mining these trees that have been mining the soil. And so like, um, you know, creating this mushroom medicine is like looking at it like, okay, the tree is a hundred years old. And now this mushroom comes along as the tree's dying and now it's mining all that stuff out of the tree and the tree's been mining the soil for, you know, or the soil has been turning for thousands of years, but like, mm. so you realize like that medicine is, you know, thousands of years in the making. And so like all like the little butt ends from the pieces of reishi and, you know, any scraps from these incredibly medicinal polypores, they end up getting fermented with the EM and like the scraps end up in the, the compost pile, but also spraying all that stuff and like uh we do use turkey tails as well i left that one out but because of regenerative soil i saw that turkey tails shown to uh, clean up glyphosate too and so we're, we're term teaming with the the turkey tail we haven't found black pearl oysters yet i know that's another one in there but uh yes yeah, so using the, the polypores as well i meant to mention that earlier that's awesome you know what they were testing centarians or centenarians in Japan and their gut biome. And they all had one unique mic, uh, uh, microbe that only pe old people that like live this long have, and huh. it's created by reishi. When we Immortality. And so, but, but let's go further. What you just said, opened another door. What if, because this is what Peter McCoy says, so many of the medicinal compounds are not actually the plant, they're the fungi in the plant. What mm. if the yep. component, the like the information, right? Or literally the fungi from within 
that tree is getting information and medicine from, you know what I mean? Like there's a feedback loop there. That's that, that, that's so ancient. Absolutely, man. And I'm just getting into this thinking about the soil, having memory and Quatamac teaching this with the biochar. Um, but you know, like, that's what biochar is. And that's what happens naturally when we have these wildfires or lightning strikes a tree and turns it to char and puts it in the soil. It's like, it's that memory of the tree that was there before. And like, it's absolutely incredibly beautiful. And like, we don't begin to understand the complexities of all this stuff. Orchids, orchids can grow with reishi. You know that, right? And orchids require a mycorrhizal and oculant to grow at all. I did not know that. Yeah. And so you can actually use reishi to do this. And so that means reishi goes in. And I think that reishi would already, and then like, you know, reishi's cousin, like uh, artist conch and all those kinds of things. Um, Those are already inside the plant. And so they're gathering information and probably endophytic. And so they're in a feedback loop and, and calibrating that whole time. And then when it dies, they're, they're turning into this mushroom, which is like potentially not saying for sure. This is just yep. me riffing here, but it's like a synopsis of information, which is and, and of medicine, right? It's a distilling of this essence from this, this ancient tree that now we are able to take as medicine. That's pretty incredible. Absolutely. Wow. Wow. That's a gift. Thank you for sharing that. That's, I love that. Thank you. Teaming with these trees and using the wood chips, you know, what other vermi compost, what other like wood or worm composting company is feeding their worms wood chips it's like obviously we're not going for speed of things you know we're, we're catering towards the fungi there but like one tree could have a hundred different strains of fungi living inside of it you know and like inside of that fungi there's bacteria floating around inside that bacteria there's a virus inside that virus there's another virus and like it just gets incredibly complex and like you don't just look at the wood chips as carbon anymore you look at it as all those endophytes that are turning into sap robes you know as the environment changes the function changes and like it's a uh, have you thought about insect frass oh yeah yeah um, because that would I, make chitinase at like super high levels and i know people doing worm castings with insect frass as a main component and they're using that to melt bark beetles and, and save dead trees they're using it to what? Melt bark beetles and save. Okay, trees. bark beetles. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's incredible. Because it's so high in chitinase. Right. No, we've we talked about getting into the frass game for sure. But like the fact that um the compost is right on the ground and you know those mushrooms are sporulating and then tracting all those beetles. It's like there's so much more than just worm castings, and that's why we don't call it, you know, worm castings. Like there's insect frass in there naturally. There's so many beetles and everything in our pile. Do you know the amino K sugars test? No. So basically someone figured out, someone really smart figured out that there's these farmers that are growing corn where it shouldn't be possible and they're not using any fertilizer and it shouldn't be possible what they're doing. And everyone thought it was magic. And then they went and looked closer and they figured out that there was so much insect frass that it was amino K sugar or um, 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 amino, amino sugars. Um, amino nitrogen sugars and, and they, it's basically from 
insects and it's like they're they're leftover insect parts it's it's chitin and and so it's a form of protein that's non-soluble yeah right until the moment until there's these roots that are like putting out all these exudates at the right you know the right calibration and so yeah yeah i really think that if you did an amino k sugars test i mean i don't know why i say k um, it might be because uh, well, anyway, but, uh, but amino nitrogen sugars, it's in the book, okay. it's in, um, yeah, yeah. regenerative soil. But, um, if you, if you did that, you would be able to see, uh, the amount of nitrogen that's non-soluble that's in there in a form that's like essentially like in reserve. Hmm. Very cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Do you know who offers that test? Yeah. Yeah, you know Solvita. Yep, they do yep. the. They're part of the Haney test that everyone's into now. Yeah. Um, Solvita has home kits, and oh, so I, I've got the Gardner kit from them. It was like a hundred bucks, and I can do the CO two respiration, and I can do the nitrogen respiration test, and then they have um, the the amino sugars test too. Uh, it's a separate separate kit. So yeah, and what's so wild is they've got a digital reader and I'm like, that's what these are for, dude. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, we're, we're like, someone's just got to care enough and we're going to be able to have programs that read the color coding on those things so that we get such, because yeah. he's getting precise readings with the digital reader, except it costs $1,500. So it's yeah. like, you know, hard sell. <laughs> yeah, like sure. wait five minutes it'll be here yeah oh man i i i can't wait to like hang out meet in person talk compost make compost maybe yeah. maybe attend your event i don't know um Dude, come true yeah oh That'd man incredible yeah so everyone check out what you're doing I want to come in, in person and check out and film it and make like a documentary on you guys because it's just amazing. It's absolutely inspiring. So thank you for talking with us today. Thank you so much for having me, Matt. It's really been an honor. Oh man. Thank you so much. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you. You're doing such great work. Oh. Man, this has been crazy. <laughs> like, like you seriously have taught me so much. So. I highly look up to you. And oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Is it just from the book, the Regenerative Soil book? Yeah, uh, getting more into your YouTube, but to be honest, I, I haven't too much in the past, and I'm seeing there's so much content out there. So another rabbit hole to, to dive down. But yeah, this book is the Bible. I've got a huge uh, library next to me here with all the soil books. And like, I recommend to everybody, you know, instead of getting all of those, just get this. It's, it summarizes the Teeming with Microbes trilogy. You know, it's got the Rodale uh, composting book, like everything in here, man. The Jadam book, like, yeah, it's it's all summarized perfectly and illustrated amazingly. And like, such an interactive, and like, just this book. And I mean, gardening has always been piquing my brother's interest, but like, this book has been our Bibles. And like, he's in Minnesota, I'm in Michigan, but like, yeah, it's it's awesome, man. So thank you so much. That's incredible. Um, and I think I just heard you last night. You're writing a new book, Mind, Body, and Soil. 
Yeah, because I, I, and so it's been something I've been researching. So what happens is it's like I some things take me a long time to research and some things mm-hmm. I have to do in order because the pieces I can't figure out the next piece until I do this part. So I'm figuring out the soil and the only way to get to the rest of the information is by making it a community experience uh and especially like mapping improving things out and and then i'm going to start interviewing doctors once i because and then i've got to write the third book in the the trilogy the the regenerative soil trilogy regenerative soil dna because like all the things i just told you people are going to be like matt i i don't know if i believe you but if i have it in a book and i've got the printouts for dozens of DNA samples from all over that are showing this pattern, then it's completely different. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna showcase it out and show how things actually work because because of horizontal gene transfer, um, they now know that evolution is not the primary uh, mechanism for adaptation. It's horizontal gene transfer, and um, at least microbially. Yeah. And so I really want to like people to understand how decomposition actually works, how uh, gene expression actually works. And, and then I want to go into the gut and connect it because, because they have, they have to connect. If we have these all connected and make it undeniable, then we fix the entire food system. Absolutely, man. That's a huge part of the compost cup that I, I didn't leave it or I didn't include, but like the human health aspect, like, bridging the gaps between soil health and human health and like talking about fermentation for you know our health as well as fermenting our inputs for the garden and like just how similar everything is and you know waking everybody up to the microbiome and getting everybody on the same page for sure yeah it's about to everything's about to change dude that is so exciting (laughs) all right i'm gonna send it to you right now it is so awesome to meet i i'm I can't wait to hang out in person. Me either, man. Truly. All right. Well, All right. have a wonderful day. And yeah, I'm gonna too. I'm gonna get this out really quick. Take care, Matt. You too. Have a great one. You too. Regenerative soil microscopy is a manual for how to explore, assess, and evaluate your soil, your compost your roots, mycorrhizae and microbes and more. And it's all stepped out. So it's visual, it's also written, but you'll be able to follow along like a picture book and and copy the steps. You'll be able to learn how to operate a microscope. You'll be able to learn how to work with stains. You'll be able to learn bright field, dark field, epifluorescence, all the most powerful modes of microscopy you'll have at your fingertips. And you'll be able to capture, catalog, assess, and evaluate, and then make clear choices and decisions to improve that soil. And it's going to take a public database to organize this information so that we can run this data against itself and that we can expose all these caveats and connections and get nearly an infinite amount of feedback and insight possibilities out of over 100 points of distinction that you can run against each other as well as DNA. So the DNA sequencing is gonna unlock things even more and allow us to understand microscopy at such a deeper level. We're gonna be able to check our answers, but 
when a thousand or a hundred thousand entries have been entered and we start connecting these things and going across bioregions, across pH, it will open the door to data that no scientist has ever had access to before and it's going to be public so we all have access to it so that information doesn't get locked up. But I need you to know how to operate your microscope and to catalog these things and interpret these things so that you can add to the database and be part of this. So I built an online community training and certification program that dovetails and goes deeper than the textbook. So it's we're there working together. There's live Q&A. There's live demonstrations and there's an online community where you can connect with people from all over the world interested in soil science. A new horizon in soil science is upon us and you're all invited to participate. And remember, it's a Kickstarter, so if you don't support it, it doesn't happen. Get Regenerative Soil Microscopy, the book, the course, and join us in the R-Soil database.